0: This is Let's Talk Business with your hosts, Mark Ebinger and Heather Bain. Now, here's Mark. Welcome to Let's Talk Business, a show that talks entrepreneurship with some of the best businesses in the San Antonio area. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk with Howie Nestel, the owner of Howie Nestel Motivation. Howie's a popular public speaker who has served on more than 100 nonprofit boards, founded five nonprofits, and has consulted with more than 1,500 clients on marketing. Howie, welcome to the show. Wow. Who did all that? Yeah. I, <laughs> I did all my homework. So, uh, you know, Sharkmatic, obviously, that's your marketing company. We'll talk about that as well. Um, and then some of the things that we're doing together, too. So I'm excited to have you here. It's uh, You do a lot of teaching, and you give a lot of business insight, a lot of free advice that really
1: does have impact. So it's exciting to have you here. Yeah, free. They say advice is worth what you pay for it. So if you pay nothing, it's worth nothing. But it's more of a conversation, right? And if we can learn from each other, love it.
0: Well, certainly worth nothing if people don't take action on it.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a biggie right there. Mm A lot of people get the T-shirt or the bumper sticker. They just don't do the actual work. Well, that conversation
0: you and I had over Mexican breakfast, uh, some tacos, um, you know, it was like you're giving out insight. And I'm like, oh, I pulled out my iPad and started taking some notes and... Implemented it straight away. It's like, I think that's important action, right? It's not just words, but it's action yeah. behind it. And words.
1: I know you like numbers and percentages, but if I had to put a number to it, I would say 90 to 95% of people will take a listen to something, maybe a podcast or read a book, um, and find it really interesting and useful and worthwhile. And maybe 5 or 10% will actually implement it and do something about it.
0: Well, it's timing sometimes, right? People are a lot of people are overwhelmed in what they're doing. They just don't have the mental energy or the stamina to actually implement
1: something they know would be really, really good for business. Th- that's for sure. The other thing about timing is that when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. So the lessons are there, but if the student's not ready, the student's not ready. You know, there are things that I've reread or relearned that I may have first heard about or studied 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago that I don't implement until now because I just wasn't ready back then.
0: Just like parenting, right? Because we'll get into that here in a little bit too, but it's like our parents tell us stuff that wisdom's being imparted and we're not ready to hear it. It's like, you know, whatever. Yeah, mom, dad, dad, I, When you're 16, you know everything about everything, and then you just start forgetting stuff after that, becoming less and less knowledgeable as you go (laughs) on. That's what I tell my kids. 16 is the peak.
1: I have two teenagers and one tweenager, and I say, the time for action is now. Leave home while you still know everything. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, let me finish my introduction. we just get right into it, right? Uh, I'm your host, Mark Ebinger, the owner of Krukus Marketing Agency, a company that specializes in giving small businesses a competitive edge by hiring low-cost administrative and social media experts from outside the United States. A quick reminder, for our listeners, you can catch video and podcast versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at SATalkradio.com. Of course, you can get to all of our social media, just clicking on those colorful icons there. We're on all of the – I call it the big six, like Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of the things, and LinkedIn too – so if you are a small business owner in the San Antonio area and like to have your company featured on the show, just visit our website at satalkradio.com or call our office at 210-960-8210. That's 210-960-8210, and we can get you booked on the show. So, how I met you at a network launch that I've been going to for almost a year now, Uh time goes by and you do the educational moments there every week and you you do something very, very smart there is that that you record them every time you do it. Um, what's the, why do you do that? Why do you give the business tip? Why are you doing what you do there at, uh, cause you don't have to. Uh, No, I don't have to.
1: I get to it's, it's for me, it's a mindset thing. I love public speaking, I do it already as both a business and as a hobby, and I use public speaking to help nonprofits grow their exposure and their their influence. And so I figure, you know, business, I'm a I'm a serial entrepreneur, you know, I've been a partner in 24, 25 businesses for 35, 40 years. And it's kind of in my DNA. My my parents were entrepreneurs and business owners. My grandparents were entrepreneurs and business owners. I grew up in it. So it's what I eat, live, and breathe and love doing. I, I know the power of of business and entrepreneurship. And because I've worked with, in my marketing firm, 1,500 clients in 30 years, I want to help spread some of that knowledge and learning to other entrepreneurs who may have only had one or two businesses or have only been in business for two, three, four, five years. There's a lot of learning you can do. You could kind of spend the next three decades learning it, or you could listen to uh, a few mentors and and people who've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and then shorten that learning curve down to months, years, uh, weeks, whatever. So... One of the things you're really good at is you're very personable, right?
0: It's easy to listen to what you're saying. You you come across great. You've got humor that you inject into you, what you're
1: doing. Yeah, it's, it's well, a Well, I'm good trying time. to entertain myself as well, you Ex- know?
0: Thank you for saying that yeah. because I laugh at my jokes probably more right. than anybody, right? But I'm just trying to have a good time, and I, I think I'm funny at times, you know what I mean? And I can appreciate that kind of a connection when when people are like that, too. They're just trying to have a good time, and they think they're funny. So humor is a great way to, um, you know, to to weave into your public speaking because people remember how they felt about something. They don't oh, necessarily absolutely. remember what was said,
1: but how they felt. If they remember three things, they're already you're already beating the average. Normally, most people will take one or two nuggets away from a. 20, 30-minute or one-hour talk. They're not going to remember everything. But you're right, they'll remember how you made them feel. Um, and if you made them feel good and there was something that resonated with them, I, I get that all the time. Most of the time when when I run into somebody that was at one of my talks, including right now outside the podcast, that that kid that was outside, he remembered that he was at that, uh, one of the referral groups where I spoke. People will usually remember one thing that they implemented. You know, and a lot of it is stuff that I'm either interested in learning in, learning about or that, that I heard from somebody else. So my college roommate and I were on, a, were on a trip together not that long ago, and he was talking to a client in Dubai. I know a staffer in Dubai, one of his staff members. And he said to him, he says, hey, I understand, but we have a presentation on Tuesday. So if you don't want me in your business, take care of your business. And then he hung up the phone. I'm like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. So I went home, you know, and I help sometimes clean my kids' rooms when they're not at the house. Ah. And then they come back, and they're, and they're furious. Yeah. Dad, why'd you come to my room, my privacy, and this and that? That's Whatever. not normal, blah, 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 blah. Okay? And I said, oh, you don't like me in your business? Then take care of your business.
0: I'm going to totally steal that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then I turned it into a talk. And so now I have entrepreneurs six months or a year later tell me that like, I still use that. I use that in my business all the time. So then I did it at, at, my, at my agency as well. And my, and my team, they're like, yeah, they get it. It's a simple concept, right? Nobody wants to be micromanaged. But if you're not taking care of your business, somebody's going to have to step in. Because, sure. for example, in marketing, in my business, I wanna make sure that my clients know that we're reliable and we're gonna take care of stuff. So if I have a staff member that's not living up to the expectation and not fulfilling our duties, then I'm gonna step into his business and he's not gonna like it or she's not gonna like it. And if they don't like it, one way to ensure that I don't get into their business is by taking care of their business. Make sure you do what you're supposed to do. So that's how I kind of come up with these topics. And I thought I was going to run out. I've been doing these for a couple of years now, at least one a week there, and then sometimes I'll do another one or two talks a week. So you know, it's three times three hundred and sixty-five. You're talking about maybe five, six hundred topics a year.
0: Well, and it's a lot of content, you know, because you videotape it, right? I mean, if you're going to be there, why not get it? And then I know you get it out on social media, which is great. Um, I'm actually got an opportunity coming up to do that with a BNI group that I'm in, where they're going to be looking for a business. Uh, like
1: a tip insight kind of a thing there that well, i just follow howinestelle and go steal all my stuff. Yeah.
0: That's a R and D rip off and duplicate. That's right? right. But I'm gonna put two cameras in there. So you
1: use two cameras on this last one, right?
0: Right. You we're putting that that phone up in the in the whatever. We that had, three oh, had three cameras. Carlos used
1: his iPad also. Oh did he? We didn't use his footage. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't tell him. It (laughs) It hurt his feelings. No, I put one in a lantern. (laughs) Yeah. And then I had another one on a tripod. And we do it kind of in a crude way, but the audio is good because I have a nice mic. I run a hardwire mic to me, and I stand there and do it, but... And the reason I came up with the idea of a second camera, those talks don't really require I think high I budget yeah, high budget with bringing a videographer and all that stuff. This is kind of like a little personal yeah. thing that I did. It looks great. Yeah. so um but the reason I did that second camera pointing towards the audience is because I had people saying, so, hey, we see your talks every Wednesday. What do you do? Just put in like applause tracks or what? (laughs) Or do you do that in an empty room? I go, no, I actually speak in front of 35 or 40 entrepreneurs every week. They're like, really? Like, How come they never come out on camera? So
0: when I was planning to do this, it should be starting up like in October, but I'm like, I'm going to have two cameras in there just for that reason because you want a camera on me, but then a camera that shows me and then shows the audience. So it's validation yeah. that I'm actually not talking to a blank wall or something Well, like also
1: make sure that whoever edits your stuff mm-hmm. doesn't edit people like eating or not paying attention or on the phone. Because then that's oh, yeah. distracting too. because Because we have extra footage and I'm watching. I'm not going to say any names because they're, they're all watch your podcast and you're going to know, but they're sitting there like texting, not paying attention, eating, stuff in their face. Or the way the tables are set up, sometimes the people on one end, their backs are towards me. And yep. so it's very hard to turn around, you know? Yeah, I got you. you oh. know, God forbid you should ask people to turn around to pay attention to a two minute talk.
0: Right. Wow. So
1: public speaking, how did you get started with public speaking? What was the catalyst there? Uh, you know, I, I'm a talker. I like to talk. Never really had a problem getting up and speaking in front of people. Anytime one of our friends was getting married or dying, you know, somehow I got elected to go up and speak. And I liked it. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Well do you feed off the applause and the the room? does it energize you or does it
1: do you feel yourself drained at the end of it? I, I have to have an engaged audience for me to enjoy it. yeah, me too. If they're if, if they're not engaged, I, it's, I, awkward. I, it's awkward. It's <laughs> awkward and I, yes. and I blame myself. I saw I saw a musical act and I wouldn't mention the name. I think they're called Lone Star. They have a bunch of top 10 hits in country music. And I'm I'm not, I don't listen to a lot of country western music, but they did a gala and they did a gala for kids uh, with disabilities and they normally charge like 100, 150 grand. But because they were already touring through here and they're friends with a founder of this nonprofit called the Miracle League of San Antonio, they agreed to do it for a fraction of what they normally charge because it was for a good cause, right? Mm -hmm. So there were 600 people in the room. But people were drinking and eating, and these, men, and these guys were playing, and they play like some well-known hits. And so the lead singer stopped after one of the songs. He goes, excuse me, folks, you know, I, I know y'all are having a good time and everything, but you know, the dance floor is empty. Normally we're playing gigs with 20, 30,000 people in the audience. Here there's 600. You have us all evening. And we want to have a good time, too. So we'd mm-hmm. like to see some of you come up and dance, maybe sing along with us or whatever. So kind of woke up the audience. Did it, work? it worked. Okay, good. It worked.
0: Well, thats I guess that's the power of asking for what you want, too. Right. You
1: know what I mean? Rather than just
0: assuming somebody knows. Yeah, but
1: as a speaker, yeah, it's a little tough. To, I, I've done it, but I, you know, I don't do it in a in a way that's disrespectful. Right. But I do start to walk towards the people that maybe there's a little side conversation going in the middle of the when I talk, and I'll just go over oh, and or i Oh, so you're looking them. to correct or, or, I'll, or I'll point something out. If, there, if I know somebody in that particular area, and I'll say, for example, my friend Mark here, I know you have a podcast, mm. and all of a sudden I got your attention and I got everybody else's attention around you. Yep, that works very, very well. Definitely. Oh, and by yeah. the way, other groups also, they're like, I don't want them to do that to me, so I better pay attention. Catch you off guard, right? Yeah. I did have a lady, though, when I spoke um, at the Venture X deal that said, normally, I'll go to the breakfast stuff for networking. And then before the speaker starts, I usually leave because it's always boring. And she said I was kind of trapped where I was. And then you started talking and you like opened up with a joke and then you got my attention. And then I was mesmerized the whole time. So sometimes that humor works and it kind of locks people in.
0: One thing I've definitely noticed about your speaking engagements that you do is that even the ones at the network lunch, right, you treat them the way that they should be treated in that you prepare. There's a structure to your message. So, and that doesn't happen, does it happen by accident? I'm assuming that you plan for but are you just naturally no, them.
1: no. I, I I practice them. I write them. I listen back to them. I'll record them. But I try not to be so rigid and structured that I have a delivery mess the message to be delivered in a particular order. As long as I hit the highlights and the points that I practice, I'm okay if I miss some, whatever. But I've heard people speak off the cuff, and normally good speakers will not sound as good when they're completely. Off the cover because they think they're great, but they're usually not. Unless you have there's a just like movies, there's a structure to everything, right? Yeah. You set up the problem, you have the hero, they come back, and then they win. Whatever it is, there has to be some kind of formula. It's not that I speak off of a formula, but if there isn't a problem and a solution to it, and a learning and something to take away, people don't find it valuable.
0: Yeah. You know, speaking of structure and formula, let's hit. I'm gonna you know going on a little bit of a rabbit trail here because you gave some advice on elevator speeches. So if you would just let's let's almost prepare this to be a soundbite for the show is if uh, what is an elevator speech and what's the structure of one that um that works for you that
1: somebody else could take that formula and use. Okay. So uh, an elevator pitch and I know people have heard of elevator speech, elevator pitch. It, the idea behind that is you get into an elevator and then Next to you is your ideal prospect. If you could pick the best kind of client you could ever have and they walked into the elevator and they pushed the fifth floor and you're going to the eighth floor, you have now from ground floor to fifth floor to pitch them on what you do and what your company does. So you might have whatever it is, 20, 30, 40 seconds. So you should, every business owner, every entrepreneur should have an elevator pitch prepared. For those kinds of opportunities. Why? Because you are at an event and somebody asks you, Hey, Mark, what do you do? And you're like, Oh, I have a podcast and I do this and I have Quickest Marketing and I we do social media, but we also hire uh, administrative assistants and marketing assistants and we do it overseas. And right now we get a lot of people from the Philippines, but we, you know, we're looking at the market. And you know, it's like, man, you've kind of lost somebody yeah. and you're trying to get all the points across. Right. And they're like, Wait a second, what? <laughs> so, To put together an effective elevator pitch, in my opinion, after 35 years in marketing, you want to set up a problem that every prospect you talk to can identify with and agree with, okay? So I'll give you, as an example, the one for Sharkmatic Advertising. I say to prospects, every business struggles with marketing. True or not true? True. I mean, you have a marketing business. I have a marketing business. I struggle with my own marketing. Mm -hmm. Every business struggles with marketing. You can't disagree with that. Second part of the elevator pitch, second sentence. At Sharkmatic, we have a signature approach to helping our clients communicate their message effectively and economically. Ooh, wow. So these people have developed something that they can help me with because I can't many times convey my message effectively and economically. Ooh, that's the second part. And then the close or the third part is, as a result, our clients tend to be more successful than their competitors. Short and sweet and to the point. That whole thing probably took 15 seconds, three sentences, five seconds, a sentence, you're done. So, we could, you, another could you
0: end it with, well, now I'm available for questions since we still have 10 seconds? No, no,
1: absolutely you can. Yeah. But at that point, if you say, they say, hey, so what do you do? I said, I have a marketing business and we know. Like I'm going to put it conversationally because you're not going to pitch it like that, like looking sure. at an index card. So you're get in an elevator and they're like, oh, so you know, I know they're the CEO of Starbucks, okay? And I'd love to get them as a client. And then they get on. So you know, I'm like, oh my God, you're the CEO of Starbucks. How are you doing? He's like, oh, great. Yeah. I go, my name's Howard Nistone. He goes, oh, what do you do? So I have a marketing firm. And one thing that I realized that over 35 years is that most businesses, probably even Starbucks, struggle with marketing. Well- After working with 1,500 clients, we've developed an approach that helps our clients to communicate their brand promise in an effective and economical way. You know what happens as a result? Our clients tend to be more successful than their competitors. You know what the next thing usually is out of their mouth? Can I get one of your cards? Mm -hmm. So then that conversation either continues there or they get off the elevator and they'll call you later. I like
0: to even double down on that because it's like, yeah, You exchange cards and say, you know what? I'm going to have my assistant call you. By the time I'm even up to the eighth floor, my assistant's calling and booking the coffee sit down. (laughs) It's just having that system in place to get on it
1: quick. Which is something else, by the way. Very few entrepreneurs are good at follow-up. A lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of classes and, 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 and videos and things on networking. Tips, tricks, and hacks for networking. And how can you get really good at networking? Fantastic. So let's say you get that part down and you go and network the heck out of whatever and you pass out cards and all that stuff. Well, guess what? The other person's waiting for you to call them or they already forgot about you or you're waiting for them to call you or to go like and follow you on social media. And if neither one takes the first step, guess what? You're back where you started. Mm -hmm. You might have more business cards, but that doesn't mean you have more prospects and not having having business cards is not a leading indicator to getting business. A leading indicator to getting more business is Follow-ups. The more follow-ups you have, the more meetings you're going to have, the more RFPs or requests for proposals you're going to have. And then the more RFPs you have, guess what? The more business you're closing.
0: You know, I'll even double down on that and say that when, when you exchange cards or you set an expectation and you don't, that's actually a negative towards your you and what you represent, because people are going to see you as, well, yeah, we did that. Maybe they didn't take any action, but you didn't take any action. That's not necessarily seen as a positive. So it could be like a negative experience Yeah. when you run across, yeah, we did this and we, oh yeah, I never followed up. I got busy or whatever. That's a negative. If you're too busy to help me or to even follow up with that, that's not a good thing.
1: And who's going to value that connection more? Who has the most to gain from it? That's really who should be taking the step forward. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you want to take over and do all of them. But you know what? If there's not much you're going to gain from the other person, human nature is, ah, if he wants to follow up or she wants to follow up with me, she'll call. If not, whatever. I but don't really care. But hu-
0: there's a possibility of a huge missed. I've had connections that I didn't think were going to be good connections that led to a connection that was like, oh, my gosh, this is a great connection for me. Yeah. So uh, it just that's a, I'm weak on follow-up, so that's why I have staff now it takes care of that for me yeah. because it's seriously just a guy I just met, take a picture of it, send it up. I'm busy doing other stuff. Yeah. And it's And it's done. being taken care of. It's being taken care of.
1: I'm posting on social media right now without posting on social media. I approve something that I, my office is going to post. It's absolutely valuable. So my newest employee at Sharkmatic, his name is Jesse. He graduated from UT UTSA with a degree in marketing. And so the other day he worked on something on one of my videos, put it up online. And so I said, to my staff, you know, if you ever want to get paid again, you're gonna go like and comment on my. No, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, <laughs> no, 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 I have to <laughs> use that. <laughs> no, no, hold on, I'm, I'm teasing. So I said, hey Jesse, I said, hey, did you, did you, because he's not much into social media, so I go, did you go like it or whatever? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I think I was the second one to like it. So I go and I click on his name, and then. He and I are not even connected on Facebook. We're not friends on Facebook. And he's been working for me for a while, right? So I go, hey, Jesse, and my other employees are sitting there, right? I go, Jesse, you and I aren't friends on Facebook. And he goes, oh yeah, I guess we're not. I go, yeah, I just sent you a friend request by the way. I go, so we're not friends on Facebook, whose fault is that? And he goes, I guess both of ours because neither one of us noticed. I go, ah, wrong. I go, hey Pete, whose fault is it? He goes, I'm staying out of this. I go, Jesse, you went to UTSA. I attended UTSA. And then I went to UT Austin. You got a degree in marketing. I got a degree in marketing. Are you tracking? Yeah. I've been in business for 35 years. You've been working for me for four weeks. I have 10,000 contacts on a first name basis. You have a couple of people you go tubing down the Guadalupe with. <laughs> Who do you think stands to gain more from sending out a friend request to the other person? And he goes, I guess I do. I go, you guessed right. I go, so now I'll ask you the question. Whose fault fault is it that we're not connected? He goes, mine. I go, yes, correct. It's I'm, I'm being funny, but you know what? If he and I didn't connect as friends and he doesn't work at Sharkmatic in a year or two or whatever, my life, my business is not going to change at this point in my career, you know. Let's if he's getting started in marketing, I would want to leverage my boss's contacts. Heck yeah. So, so let's talk about volunteerism
0: uh, for a minute. So, when this idea that I'm going to go volunteer to get in a line, a torque a line at a soup kitchen, or you know, whatever, not necessarily appealing. And I don't want to seem, you know, arrogant about that or anything, but it's just, it's not my ideal situation. And one of the things that you talk about is using or leveraging what you do and what your talents are to help benefit like, uh, you know, a nonprofit type situation or volunteer situation. Um, That really appealed to me. It made me feel like, you know what, I can connect in a volunteer type of situation in my way rather than having to do it this particular way. Because I always viewed it as, okay, if I'm going to volunteer, I have to go do something I don't necessarily want to do. But you really opened my eyes up beyond that. So tell me a little (laughs) bit about that.
1: I spent a lot of years going down to volunteer. Either when I worked for Procter and Gamble right out of college, or I worked for an international ad agency, and we would have Volunteer Day, and we'd go down to the food bank and we sort cans, or we'd go to a soup kitchen. You know, in, in, in Cincinnati when I worked for P and it was okay. You know, and then I thought, okay, I mean, I felt okay for doing that. I don't know how much of a difference it actually made. I guess they needed some bodies to, you know, pour the soup or to go sort cans. But over the years, I found that if I can leverage what I know in marketing and connections and sales in my <clears throat> enthusiasm for hosting events, parties. I did a big event. I was talking to somebody about it the other day, an MTV street party down here, and we uh, donated some of the proceeds to the food bank, and this was decades ago. I uh, brought MTV to San Antonio. We did it on St. Mary Street. But anyway, if in some of these events where I chair a gala, we net $100,000, dollars $300,000. That's a bigger check than I can write, but... If I could have fun, bring friends together to buy seats and tables at an event, come up with the idea, the concept for the that particular gala, the, the theme, and then see it to fruition and then auction off a bunch of items, and then the nonprofit nets a quarter of a million dollars, I got to leverage my connections, I got to leverage my expertise as a marketer, and my abilities as a salesperson to go out and sell tickets and tables and sponsorships and then help this nonprofit make a ton of money to help meet their budget, which is a lot more valuable than me going down every Friday, scooping out soup, putting at the food bank, super valuable, but not for what I know what to do. So now Mark Evinger has a podcast and you could go out and, Hand out QR code cards at the corner of Blanco and 410 to promote a cause and connect with 50 or 100 people and sweat, you know, and get sunburned. Or you can get here in a podcast studio and bring the CEO or the development director of a nonprofit and get the word out to your 10, 20, 30, 40,000 viewers and views and promote them, and then give them content that then they could put out on their social media. And now they get donors, connections to people that they had no idea that this organization was here. That's leveraging the power of your expertise, your connections. You've already built the podcast. You already built a marketing business. You already built a following. Why not leverage that to help a nonprofit that might be stuck, you know, in Bernie or whatever that nobody knows about. I love that.
0: I love that because it's a pattern of thinking that I think it's good for people to hear that they don't have to do something that they don't necessarily want to use your talent in a way that actually benefits the charity even greater.
1: Yeah. And now here, okay, we're, 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 bias in the sense that we're talking about marketing and so there are people listening to the podcast you know I'm thinking of you know uh plumbers AC people uh pest control people that kind of stuff they're like oh that's great for these people who sit around in air conditioning and talking to a microphone all day long well guess what my friends you guys actually have something that is as valuable or more valuable than what we do because For example, we did something with uh, with a nonprofit that's off of uh, near San Antonio College called uh, Guardian House, where we had some tours of people that we brought in, and there were people that were plumbers, pest control, etc., and they're in this old house that was somewhat, not run down, but I mean, it needs maintenance. These houses built in the early 1900s, 100 years ago, need a lot of maintenance. And if they're using their budget for what they do in terms of counseling for children and for parents who are at odds and trying to do things with their kids, well, they may not want to spend their money on fixing all their plumbing or their AC or whatever, because it's very expensive. Now, if you own a plumbing company, an AC company, pest control company, landscaping, tree trimming, and you want to donate that service and just go there for a few hours and fix some things that they might end up having to spend thousands of dollars on and you do it for free, you're going to feel great and you're contributing with your area of expertise. And not only that, then they get together in their board meeting and they say, you know, Tommy's Plumbing came out and they actually fixed the two bathrooms that we that were out of order for the last six months, and they did a pro bon- Oh, really? Yeah. And here are their business cards and whatever. Let's give them a little plaque. Let's give them a thank you. Let's invite them to our gala. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's another way of networking by using your expertise. And so I, I put people in front of that opportunity all the time. That's great. So let's talk about parenting a little bit, because uh, I know you love being a parent. Um, my, my kids don't love me parenting them, yeah, but, they do. but
0: I do love being a parent. If they don't appreciate it as much now, they certainly will as as you go along, because uh, you're very hands-on parenting. So tell me about how many kids you have and what's your parenting style?
1: I have I have three kids. They're 17, 15, and 12. And uh, I love them differently. I like them on different days. <laughs> and uh, I, I often say that... If I write a parenting book, it'll be titled What My Daughter Told Me This Past October. She's like, "Oh my god, dad, I hate you, but can you take my friends and I to fry fest?" <laughs> 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 that would be the title, and then the subtitle would be, "Oh, and don't follow us around cuz you're going to look like a stalker." <laughs> you know? It's uh, you know, it's a moving target. All parents know this. I'm a hands-on parent, and because I'm in marketing, I like putting stuff out there, and I put stuff on social media that I do with my kids. And I have friends, by the way, that have called me and said, Howie, kudos, dude. Love all the things you do with your kids. Do me a favor. Don't put it on Facebook. You know why? Because my wife's like, well, look at Howie, you know, (laughs) and he's doing that, and he's doing that, you know. I'm also, I'll tell you what helps me. I'll tell you the two things that help me. Um, One is I didn't get married and have kids until I was 40. Ah. So I had already worked for a long time. I had a certain level of success that I was comfortable with. It gave me more time. I wouldn't tell you that it gave me more patience, but it certainly gave me more time than I had in my 20s when I was conquering the world, okay? That, that's one advantage that I have. The second advantage that I have that helps me is that as much as I wanted to mature, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. And I'm not just a kid at heart. I like cars. I like monster trucks. I like scuba diving. I like speeding. Can I say that to a cop? I sure. hope my insurance agent's not listening. <laughs> uh, I'm not signed up for that thing, by the way, that tracks you oh, and no. all your moves. I'm mm-hmm. not doing any of that. Um, and And I'm about fun. I work hard and I play harder for sure. And so if it comes to let's go to movies, let's go do this, let's go scuba dive, I'm in let's go. I'll, I'll wear my kids out. That's pretty good. Cause that's not necessarily easy. Right. Uh,
0: so being an older parent, if I get, I'm an older parent as well. So Brooke uh, was born when I was 30, I think I was 37, fixing to be 38. Um, I actually like being an older parent. I think that there's more patience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a wisdom curve in there too. That's, that's better. Um, but I don't necessarily, I'm kind of more set in my ways. I think you're a lot more flexible and this is probably where you're getting some pushback from other parents. like,
1: Hey, you know, why are you doing so much? You know what I mean? Because we're a bit more fixed in our ways. Well, if I may be so bold as to give you some advice that, you know, you threw out the word flexible Mm -hmm. that that's, that's the superpower that I adopted. Okay. I traded in procrastination, which is the superpower I was actually shipped to Earth with, and <laughs> and I paid the upcharge yeah. for adaptability. Okay. If you can be adaptable, you'll be a better parent and you'll be a better business owner because life is all about curveballs. It's all about changes. It's not what you expect. You wake up in the morning, you have a certain expectation that things are going to go a certain way, and maybe when you were single, unattached, no kids, you had a job, it was a desk job, predictability. You could be 93% accurate of how your day was going to go. Now become an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. get married, have kids. All of a sudden, guess what? your predictability percentage ratio just went down to 10% or less. Now you're so pissed off and so frustrated about all the things that are not going right. 90% of it is not going the way I wanted. It. Guess what? That's where adaptability comes in. You're like, you know what? Be adaptable. Maybe I will have fun. Yesterday, I had a bunch of things happening. I got home at 3.40 p.m., I looked at my calendar. I'm done. I am done. Phone rings. It's my daughter, Nikki. Dad, dad, where are you? I go, what's the matter? I already know there's not an emergency. You know what I mean? No, dad. Sadine's coming over in like 19 minutes, and you said you'd take us to Fiesta, Texas. I'm like, I said we could go to Fiesta, Texas sometime. No, you said today at 4 o'clock. And I'm thinking like, I haven't spoken with her today. And I'm thinking, like, what? In? No, dad, you told me yesterday. because I'm like, oh, was it when I was on the phone and on the computer and you were bugging me that I said that? <laughs> she goes, yes. <laughs> and she's coming anyway. So hurry up. Get You got to get home. I go, I'm already home. Click, can't, comes over, banging on my. What, what are you doing? You're laying down? I go, I just got home. Give me a minute. I got to meditate for about 30 seconds and then I'll get dressed. And then my 12 year old's like, "Yes to Texas, I'm going. So there we go. Yeah, it's adaptability. You know, it's adaptability. But guess what? Guess who was having fun and on rides at you. 8 o'clock at night? It was me. And then we ate burgers out there and then funnel cake, and we're having a blast. Nice. Funnel cake is a fuel of amusement
0: parks for sure. Oh, man. Love it. That's, that's what I'm like, where's the funnel cake at? So obviously you were raised by somebody, right? So parenting, we make mistakes all the time. Is there anything significant in your childhood that stands out that really kind of shaped you and how you were going to parent?
1: Yeah, I, I love my parents. I was just on a cruise with my dad. My dad's gonna turn 90 this December. Nice. He still drives, so I'll put his address up later on <laughs> so you guys can put your dogs and kids indoors. Uh, but he still drives. And my parents got divorced when I was 15. I had two younger siblings. My mom's business was going into bankruptcy. My dad moved to another country. And then I took all of my savings. I was an entrepreneur since age nine-ish. And I took all of my savings, which was a significant amount of money. I'm talking about tens of thousands of dollars, okay, for a kid. I gave it to my mom to try to save her business, It only delayed the inevitable. She ended up closing the business. Our house got foreclosed on, and then we moved into an apartment, and then my mom went to go work for her dad, my grandfather, and then my grandfather kind of helped us out. And I was still working at 15, so I just went back to work. I was still in school. Didn't do very well at school. I can blame it on the fact I was working, but it wasn't that. Um, And I had this epiphany, and that was – Nobody is coming to save me. So if my parents couldn't provide or maintain the lifestyle that we had, then what makes me think anybody else is going to? So from that point on, I had a mindset shift and I said, I I, I got to take over. So I... I was more of a parent to my siblings. I got a lot more focused and serious about business, still less in school, unless it was an opportunity to learn something that would help me in business. And I became obsessed with money, saving it, and making it and saving it. And back then I had cash, so I would iron my bills, I would make them all stacked, like it just, it was it was an obsession. And by the way, I'm deformulating right now as we're talking, another talk I'm going to talk about, uh, uh, obsession what, versus ironing your money yeah, versus or no, no <laughs> obsession versus, 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 a, an interest, you know, uh-huh. but that was the pivotal point. And here I am four decades later or five decades later, and I'm still, I'm still there. I'm still the same person. If I go spend, you know, $50, my kids are like, Oh dad, it's only $50. I'm thinking $50. You know how long it took me to make $50 when I was a kid? And you know, no, no, no. but mm-hmm. it, it's a different time. Yes. It's a different time. Money's not worth what it was worth, whatever. That's a whole different discussion. But that was the pivotal point. And all reactions need a catalyst. You don't just wake up one day and say, Well, you know what? Screw it. I'm just gonna start making a bunch of money and I'm gonna be able to, and I'm gonna be self sufficient. <laughs> no. No, water finds its level. If your parents are providing for you and everything's hunky-dory, you're just going to chill and relax and enjoy the ride. It's until somebody pulls that rug from out, out from under you that you're like, oh, I don't like this feeling. So then that's when I started getting and formulating my ideas about having kids. And I had, you know, probably 10 theories about, like, how I'm going to raise kids and all that. And then I, until I had my kids, now I have a whole different set of theories, you know, thanks to them. But it was certainly what happened in my childhood. You know, my, my grandfather was pretty instrumental. And in, he didn't raise us where we didn't live with him. But, you know, he had a business. And I was at his business all the time learning from my grandfather. And I saw how he interacted with employees and with, cl- with customers and that kind of stuff. And it and it resonated, and I thought, you know, he has a nice life. He has five kids, sixteen grandkids, and he does pretty good. He's got a nice house. So, how does all of that
0: translate into parenting for you? What is it that? Where do you kind of focus in? Give me a one correlation there of when you're interacting with your kids or what you're teaching your kids based on what you went through. Yeah, what's the well? That's on
1: the. That's on the. Not so positive side to be kind of a monk about it's, it, no, but positive. but yeah. But but on the positive side, I remember and we were, my. I was talking about this with my dad the other day. Uh, he we would go on road trips, and so we went to Houston, went to Dallas from Laredo. I grew up in Laredo, lived in Mexico City also. But I remember going on road trips, staying at a hotel, and him letting us run around in the hotel, mm. and I love that. Some of my fondest memories. So now when I take my kids and we stay in hotels or we go on a cruise or whatever, I let them run around. Mm-hmm. I know it's important because it was important to me, and they love that. And my kids will tell me, like, oh, Dad, you're such a cool dad. You let us do whatever, whatever. I go, just make sure don't throw me under the bus when the cops get you or whatever. Don't be like, <laughs> oh, well, it's my dad just told us if we can go run around do whatever we want. <laughs> you know? Have you ever been to
0: Great Wolf Lodge?
1: Oh, yes. So
0: that's a place where the kids just run like I mean, it's a crazy house because they're they're looking for stuff and they're finding the treasures and doing solving the puzzles or whatever they're doing. But, yeah, that's a great place to let those kids run away. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so a- my my around. 12-year-old was with me on this last cruise. It was just my 12-year-old and the rest of the family didn't go. Uh, but I let him run around, and, and this was a big boat, 6,400 people and 3,500 staff. So there's 10,000 10, people on this boat, wow. and he found me. I didn't give him a phone and didn't get, I didn't get him the, I didn't upgrade him to the Wi-Fi package. That's for dad, you know, because I got to do business. Right. But no, but he did. And he found me and he knows, you know, this time of the day, I'm usually at this bar. <laughs> this time of the day, <laughs> if it's in the morning, I'm at the Starbucks, but I'm also getting a shot of Kahlua. But anyway, it. so yeah, I, you know, I want to give them their independence also. that That's one way of fun of feeding that. Oh, I'm right, you're wrong, you're terrible, dad, you don't know what to do. I give them some level of independence and you gotta let them fall and you gotta let them get their scrapes in and all that stuff and, you know, feel a little uncomfortable sometimes and then they'll come and find you. I love it.
0: All right, Howie. uh, So if folks wanna get connected with your business, how do they do that?
1: Well, com is the public speaking thing. Don't feel like you can't afford me. You know, usually if it's a few hundred dollar speaking fee, I'll donate it to a nonprofit. If you pay me a few thousand dollars, I'll keep it. Go buy some uh, pipes for my or Harley. Yeah, or some, Yeah, exactly. A new snorkel. Uh, but uh, HowieNestill.com. And then on my marketing business, it's Sharkmatic.com, Sharkmatic Advertising. And one of the things I wanted to talk with you, Mark, is you have a marketing business. Mm-hmm. I have a marketing business. And we didn't really talk a lot at least this time, about a a strategic alliance. Mm -hmm. And that's important to me. One of the things that I hope most entrepreneurs get to a level of business ownership at a time when they could rely on two, three, five, or ten strategic alliances that refer each other business. And we found, Sharkmatic found something in Kirkus Marketing that is something that we either don't do, are not good at or don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And then you're finding that it's probably not th- the best use of your assets to ramp up in a category that create a lot more problems. In other words, do what you do really well and then leverage somebody like us to do it. And then we could refer each other business. That's, I mean, that's ideal. Yeah, and I prefer not to do everything anyway. And you know, it's
0: I, I run across website, SEO type folks all the time and it's like, and great people and everything, but it's like I've had my eyes set on using Sharkmatic for a long time. Uh, it was just a matter of timing and I think we've got that figured out. so
1: well you do you did a tree by the fruit it bears, right? So when I see your social media and I see five, ten thousand views, followers, clicks, I see people I see it coming up on all my feeds, then I know you know what you're doing. you know
0: yeah, that's it. I'm a product of the product, you know what I mean that's important. And then, of course, uh, like when I sit down with somebody and I'll show them, hey, here's some of my clients, and this is what we're doing there, they love it. And if they have some feedback on it, I'll listen to the feedback, too. I don't pretend to know everything. We're constantly learning. Wait a uh, second.
1: And- Are we getting back to adaptability? <laughs> adaptability. Sounds like you're adapting. And
0: humility. I'm very humble.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going <laughs> to leave you with a gift, then. Sure. Here's a definition of humility you and I can both live up to. You ready? Yeah. Realizing that what we don't know is more important than what we do know. That's right.
0: You've seen that pie, right? This is there's a little sl- little sliver. This is what you know and this is everything that you don't know. Yeah. And it seems like the more you learn, the less you realize that you don't.
1: Know. Correct. I call that the circle of knowledge. Circle. Of the knowledge. circle of knowledge encompasses everything there is to know. You draw a little line from the edge to the center. That line represents what you know. But if you draw a second line, that line represents everything you know that you don't know. In other words, you know it exists, you just don't know how to do it. That's right. And then the rest of it is what you don't know that you don't Don't know. know. Exactly. All
0: right, thanks, Howie. As we wrap up the show, a quick reminder check out our latest podcast or catch video versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. You can go to sharkmatics.com as well. I'm sure you're going to have some content up there. Um, As always, Howie, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it. Mark, fun. Always fun. Catch you on the next one.